Good afternoon, listeners. Welcome to the Apostrophone, a recorded on Friday's podcast of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, today, as our guest, we are fortunate to have Mr. Andy Boyle, who is a uh, journalist, author, bodybuilder, data scientist, comedian, <laughs> and twice published author, who also gets a producer credit if he wants it for this podcast because it has been quite a journey to get to the part where we can record this. Andy, how are you? I'm doing good. What uh, What's on your mind today? <laughs> well, uh, I, I think the, the biggest thing is that technology is uh, difficult uh, and nobody should ever feel ashamed for it being hard to use stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I, the, the way I like to always open these podcasts is asking the guests if I should personally feel ashamed. So we, we dispense with that. Um, Andy, as the, the write-up to this post mentioned, is the uh, author of two books, which I was about to hold up to the computer, even though uh, there's no camera interaction here. Um, they are Adulthood for Beginners and Big Problems, a former fat guy's look at why we're getting fatter and what you can do to fix it. Uh, there are copies of these in the Guild Road Library. Uh, I recently read both these books. Um, I kind of want to get into the substance of them a little bit, but sure. I also want to take kind of a meta path to each of these. Um, Adulthood for Beginners was the first one. Yes, the first one, right? Um, what was the process there? Because it, it reads a little bit more like a collection of uh, essays. Yeah, so that kind of started as I wrote a blog post that went crazy viral back when it was like less normal for things to go crazy viral. Uh, gosh, like five, five, six years ago. And it was about um, what I learned not drinking for a couple of years. And be around that same time, because I was getting like a lot of talks on technology and journalism at colleges, I kind of wanted to do like some happy talks about stuff I wish I knew when I was in college that would have set me up for success. Like stuff that I'd learned um, as an adult. And so I kind of had sketched out this book idea that was a bunch of these kind of short, quick essays that weren't that long that you could kind of, you didn't have to read from beginning to end. You could just skip and jump around. And when that piece went viral, an editor at one of the biggest publishing houses in the world reached out and was just like, hey, so want to write a book? Which sounds insane. It was kind of like that. But I, I had a really good, an old buddy of mine from college who was a literary agent out in New York. And I, uh, when the piece was going viral, I had emailed him and I was like, hey, is there something we can do here? And he was like, oh yeah, I'm totally busy. Like email me next week, uh, you know, and then we'll talk about it. And then 20 minutes later, I get this email from this editor and I forward it to him. And I'm like, hey, what do we do here? And then he's like, calls me five minutes later and he's like, buddy, hey. Because <laughs> this doesn't really happen. Right. You, you, don't, really, you don't normally get uh, the, the editor who, who- You don't get inbound leads. You don't get the per you yeah, you don't get the person who says yes. And the editor was, you know, she needed to get some approval, but she's the person who says yes. And so that then led to writing up uh, a couple book proposals and they said no to the first couple. I wanted to write it as short stories, like funny short stories. And then at the end, there's a, what did you, what did we learn from Andy being dumb? And then it'd be kind of like some punchy, uh, bold like Tucker Max, if there were redeeming qualities. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, they were like, listen, the story's funny. You are not famous. You do not 
You're not literary famous. Are there celebrities in these stories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so they're just like, but we really liked the end of each of the chapters. What if you wrote an entire book that was geared toward that and was geared toward helping younger folks become an adult? Can I actually stop on the on the initial post? Yeah. Which is in the front of the book. Yep. Um, so taking it taking as a constant, um, just to, to not be remiss that like the the writing is great, it's funny, it's accessible, everyone should read it, but like taking that as a constant, the virality or vir- yeah, yeah. virility? No, not virality. Virality of the post. Um, I have a theory on it and I want to test it against you as that. Yeah, I have a theory too. Um, so we're similar in age, like we're older millennials. And so you wrote that blog post when you were like 29, 30, yeah. right? When a lot of our cohort was going through the same space. And do you think that was almost like you were articulating something that a lot of your cohort was experiencing? That like by the time you're 30, like getting drunk and doing stupid shit has kind of lost a lot of its luster and you're starting to get hangovers and you're not metabolizing. Do you think like a lot of people were at the point of like, I wish I had the courage to, to drop the sauce. That's part of it. I think it's also this, for listeners, they may forget, there was a time where um, there wasn't as much news. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know a better way to put it, but like back in you know, 2014, 2015, you weren't as inundated with the stories all the time. And it was December 28th, mm-hmm. nothing's going on. And it was also under uh, a previous kind of boring uh, political administration in America. There just wasn't a lot of like, oh my God, the sky is falling all the time. And because of that, and the end of December is usually when not a lot of stuff's being like dropping. It just filled a void. Yeah. And there were also a photo of me being really fat and then be, being less fat, which made it like, oh my God, I want to, what the hell? And so I think there was that component. But I also do think, I, I like your theory because as I talk about in one of those books, uh, there's a lot more research has, has been done in this, but there's basically your brain connects between good decision making and like long-term uh, planning. Uh, they connect oh, in, your, in your late 20s, which is one reason why a lot of people will just, who, who might have addiction issues, they sometimes just go away. Or if they have like other, uh, uh, not, not, not always substance abuse issues, but issues surrounding like, um, there's a reason why a lot of people oftentimes in their late 20s get their shit together. Mm-hmm. It's because literally their brain allows them to do that. They, uh, you know, no longer is getting drunk and jumping off your buddy Cody's house into his bushes uh, when you're 18. If only Cody were famous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't seem, it's not as good of a, you know, it's not as good of an idea because um, now you have longer term planning. And I think that's part of it. And I, I also think you, it was right around the time when a lot of people were thinking about a new year is approaching. I want, you know, it's normally when people start thinking about making changes. Yeah. And I heard from, I personally think that that essay's, uh, like, it, you know, in 40, 50 years, if that essay is all that I've ever done, I will feel like my life was a very, like, successful uh, life because of the hundreds of people that have emailed me and said, I stopped drinking because I read what you wrote and you saved my life. And, uh, you know, 
saving one person is like pretty cool. Yeah. And so having a lot of people email you and say, because of what you wrote, it really helped me uh, understand some of the issues I was having and showed me that there is a life beyond the life I'm leading. And so, you know. And I mean, that's truly amazing. Like snaps for that, not sound check snaps like we had spent 40 minutes doing prior to this recording, but um, like genuine congratulatory snaps. Yeah. As you were then like setting out in the process of writing the book, did you feel trapped by the, you know, by the by the moment of that? That did you feel a, a quest towards like profundity with every small essay that you were doing? Not really, I, I, because I had written that originally as like a throwaway. I wrote it in fifteen minutes. Yeah, I had a friend like proofread it. I was like, can you look at this just to make sure? She, you know, she was a copy editor. You make sure I got my grammar right, mm-hmm. and she was like, yeah, it looks good. And, you know, and I threw it out there. None of this was planned. Uh, I was, I had aspirations for a more literary journal, uh, 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 writing career, and like I work on novels, and so I've always kind of joked, I'm like, these are accidents that I got these nonfiction book deals with the biggest publisher in the world. Like I'm incredibly privileged and super lucky, which is why I took these opportunities because I've learned so much and grown so much as a writer and work ethic and all of that. But in my brain, I was like. But I want to write crime novels, uh, you know. But these books give me a chance to be really helpful. So your brain goes surfing a lot. Or yes, like what? Uh, <laughs> I have a, my brain is from SoCal and uh, listens to a lot of Blink One Eighty Two and sounds like Tom DeLonge. So, um, but yeah, no, th- there was never any of like a grandiosity. Yeah, it was never like these words need to be perfect. It was a I just have some ideas I want to get out there. Is it is it also tough? Um, it's weird because like there's actually this uh, position of vulnerability you step into when you're giving advice. Yeah. You know, in that like because um, you could be wrong. You you could be wrong, or you could be giving someone bad advice, or you could um, be in the situation of like you don't want to seem uh, patronizing. Yeah. That's why I tried to write it in such a way that it didn't seem like, "Hi, I'm perfect." Mm-hmm. It was more like I'm going to tell you about this hopefully funny mistake that I made. It's funny now. It might have, In the moment, it might have been like terrifying um, to show you that it's okay to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. But maybe you can learn from the mistakes that I've made. And, and that's, that's, I think, the difference between like somebody who's an amateur versus a professional. The professional has just made way more mistakes and learned from them. That's all. Is that it? Oh, there, I, I, also, I guess it depends on the field. It depends on the field, but to yeah. me, like a profession, there's also a work ethic yeah. around it. And there's nothing wrong with being an amateur, but like when it comes to, to me, that's what adulthood is. It's like you've just failed a lot more and have learned what you right. like to do and what you don't like to do and the kind of person you want to be. Because so many, like we're always trying on personas. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I was like the cool heavy metal long haired kid, and then I was like a punk rock kid, and then I was like asshole. I read smart things, which makes me somehow better than you in college kid. And then I didn't want to be that guy anymore. And so you're always kind of trying on these different personas. And so in writing the book, I tried to show, you know, we've all been um, different kinds of people and it's totally okay to fail. It's totally okay to make mistakes. And uh, I also don't have all the answers. And I think I say somewhere, I'm like, there's probably some things in this book that we'll look back in 10 years and be like, Jesus, why'd you tell people to do that? Uh, but that's normal, you know, because people change. Yeah, and um, I, the question in really both, 
books, but I think adulthood's a good place to be at it. Um, the jokes, right? The humor, you, um, you've got a really good cadence in the book of like when you're gonna put a joke yeah. in there. And kind of two questions about it. Did you have any sort of uh, rigor in planning around that or did you just sort of like do it through like listening through your own ear? So it's kind of, it's, it's kind of in two ways. So one way, uh, when I felt something was being really dry, I would put a placeholder line, you know, it, I would like have, uh, fact, comma, joke goes here. Or I would write like what sounded like a joke and then I would bold it and I'd be like, but actually make this be funny. Yeah. Uh, and then some of it, I, I tried to write how I talk. And so I tried to be very conversational and um, some of that's because of a lot of the writers that I really enjoy that I think are funny or just really good. They write as if somebody's sitting across from you at a bar talking to you. And so I'm naturally trying to relieve tension through humor, <laughs> just always. And yeah. so I think it just comes out in my writing, but it's also, I have been talking about something really dense for too long. I need to break this up with jokes so it flows a little bit better. Um, and like, I'm very interested in also how the page looks. If you see a page that has one indent, right, you're gonna go, oh my god, it's Faulkner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and whereas if there are uh, more space, like if there's more space, if it can breathe, um, if there's single sentences, they have more weight. Like mm -hmm. you, you use, like I use punctuation. I hit the enter key for emphasis. Like my favorite thing ever is when an author has like really long paragraph explaining something and then a th enter three word sentence mm -hmm. and you're just like oh shit like but, I love that but not necessarily from the uh, Stephen A. Smith school of it yeah no like, there has to be yeah that it's like it it takes a lot of drafting to get to it's a pacing yeah. issue and, yeah. and what happens when you try to have the occasional joke is you forget if it's funny mm -hmm. you forget that you initially found it to be funny which is why having editors was really helpful and my editors through both books they were very kind because they would just be like do you have any alternates like alternate jokes <laughs> and so i'd be like yeah and then I'd, I'd write like 10 yeah and i'd be like i don't know which one's the funniest you pick them and so every once in a while that would happen did, did you experience a process of also like you had a joke that you really liked and that either was something that was um like Revelatory in that you realize this joke connotes a fundamental truth upon which I can do a whole essay, or like, oh man, I went all the way in this detour to get to this joke. Now, I think I'm more likely to go on a long detour to tell a really dumb joke, mm -hmm. uh, which any of my friends can tell you. I will go extreme lengths for a really stupid bit, and then they will like groaners. God, I love them. Like. Uh, I, I, sh I shared a photo of like this <laughs> I recently shared a photo of this really interesting looking uh, owl that was sitting cross-legged and my friend was like that owl is intense and I go yeah it's totally a hoot and <laughs> that's the dumbest joke in the world but I was just I can't stop laughing oh, I can see with you there's something about jokes like that that what actually makes them it's almost like the Jimmy Fallon of like even seeing you losing it yeah. trying to tell me that story I, I am so happy that my dumb brain came up with something so 
pure and silly, like that's that's I I love that because it's like nobody's getting hurt. Yeah. The the person who's getting hurt is me because the subtext is, can you believe I not only came up with this, but I had the audacity to tell you. Yeah. Well that that actually is the other question that I had was um in both books, like you you do a great job of having the humor be sharp but inclusive yeah. like you're willing to make yourself the butt of the joke but it's also it's it's hard to actually uh tell a hundred jokes and not actually be an asshole like yeah three or four times like um is there like a notepad somewhere that has all the evil jokes that you just had to get out of your head there's only one joke i had that we cut uh and i won't name who it was about but they uh we'll just say at some point in the last 10 years, they ran for president. It's the only joke that we cut. Because it was kind of mean, and we knew that it would turn off um, anybody who liked that particular candidate. Uh, when writing jokes, I, tr I don't want to hurt people. Like, I I'm okay with me being the butt of the joke, or the concept being funny, because yeah. a lot of life is like really funny and silly. And so I'd rather be silly in instead of hurting somebody, because I think there's enough uh, negativity and accidental punching down. So it's like, why don't we make fun of the situation? Is that something you sort of struggled with as a, I'm assuming a, a precocious child? Like, did, did you like touch the hot stove or is this just something that like... No, I was an asshole. Yeah. Uh, like I was mean. And, but I was, I was cutting because I was beat up a lot and I, uh, I realized, one, if I can make fun of myself better than them, they lose all power. Mm -hmm. They have no power over me. Two, uh, words really can hurt. And I remember, this is like a terrible thing I did as like a in fifth grade, I think. Mm -hmm. And a kid was bullying me uh, with like three other kids. <laughs> you know, they're a gang. Yeah. Because I was, I, was, I was tall, so you, they would have to gang up on me. And um, one day when, you know, he came up to me on the playground and like was gonna start some shit and I just like very calmly said you know your parents divorced because of you right <laughs> now one I did not know that his parents had, were divorced I was like just making a guess yeah uh, two imagine being told that as a fifth grader by another fifth grader right in front of your friends right never ever he never did anything the red like we were done yeah. I destroyed him. He, he like, broke down. Uh, and, and, like, I never got in trouble for it. But I still feel pretty bad. Mm -hmm. But also, as a fifth grader, I was like, I'm defending myself. And I remember being like, oh, my God, I can go too far. There's a, there's a, there's a moral paradox in here somehow where, um, like, there is there's a universal way of the world lesson that it's like, yeah, sometimes if you mess with the bull, you get the horns. Yeah. Um, but it also never feels good in retrospect to have been the horns, necessarily. Yeah, no, the the older I've gotten, the more, like, you know, middle of the night, uh, you know, dark night of the soul. Yeah. It's just like, I was mean to that guy. Or I was a bully. And as I've gotten older and older, I've, I hate bullies because I was bullied. Most people who are bullied end up being bullies themselves. Yeah. And... I've been, as I get older, it's like, what are things like, what are behaviors and things I can stop doing that make me less like a bully and more like the helpful kid 
I wished I was. Right. Like, I, I, I wish instead of joining in to make fun of, like, another weak kid, mm-hmm. I instead was the kid who stood up and goes, hey, this isn't cool. Like, I, because nobody was like that for me. Yeah. And I wish that I could have been like that for some of these other kids. There's this weird, almost, like, theological um, subtext here, though, that it's, like, it is because you, you know, learned the, the trade craft of being a bully that actually makes you a much more effective, like, anti-bully. Or even to go back to the essay, it's, like, because you, you know, were drinking and, and becoming disillusioned with it is what actually made you able to become a meaningful advocate for, like, stopping drinking, for instance. Yeah, uh, yeah, theological. I was raised Catholic. Uh, most of my friends are like, no shit. Uh, it's very obvious. Um, because I, I, so the, I guess the strain that I was raised with was very much the help others, like, make the world a better place. Uh, sacrifice is, like, the, the best thing you can, like, you know, if I push a kid out of the way, get hit by a bus, and I get uh, killed by the bus, mm-hmm. I live the perfect life. You know, that sort of Jesus-esque way of thinking. Um, but this, in my second book, since it deals a lot with being overweight and obesity, I felt like I could write from a perspective that not a lot of health and fitness people write from, because most of them have been ripped and in good shape for most of their life. Right. They do not know what it's like to have someone comment about how big they are when they're on the bus. You know, somebody be like, ugh. Because you're standing near them, and they think you're taking up too much space. Because or even worse, the, the times that they don't comment, but you can tell yeah. them that, that they're thinking a comment. Yeah, and just how, and I think I, I touch on this in the book, just how much nicer people are when you are not a big dude or big or big person. Mm-hmm. Like, just they're more smiley, they're nicer by default. It's it's weird the hardwired stuff. I noticed once um, when my daughter was born; she's our oldest. As soon as I started walking around neighborhoods with a stroller, like people's disposition towards me changed utterly. Yeah. Um, moving on to the second book, I think uh, a couple of um, things. Obviously, this is a lot more linear. This is like I did a thing yeah. and wrote about it like fairly deliberately and intentionally. Um, was this something where you were going to do it anyway and realize on the way to doing this, like, hey, I could turn this into a book? Or was it like... I like what what was the like ideation and, and inception yeah the the, um, the first book did very well uh, especially in the first week uh, in first first couple weeks I think it sold way more than they had expected uh, it sold more than I expected uh, and I had been working on a second book proposal because so usually when you have a book deal they have like a clause that's like, and if you write another one, we have the right of first refusal. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my agent was like, you might as well try to work on something. And so I spent a month working on another book proposal about health and fitness. And then I was going to give it to my agent on a Monday. And like on Sunday, I was like, this sucks. And I threw it. I, I'm like, I don't, I hate whatever this book is. Uh, what if instead I just kind of write about like, I'm going to try a bunch of stuff. I'm going to talk about myself. But then I'm also going to talk about the science. So it was a different kind of book. It's I tried like uh, uh, Bill Bryson. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very much so. Uh, like a walkabout, except it's my own body. Um, and so I, you know, redid the book proposal, and we're talking like you know 30 pages. 
of stuff. And um, I took a couple like essays that I had written that had never published anywhere, repurposed them, and gave it to my agent. And then I think it was by the end of that week, it was like a month after my first book came out, I got the second book deal. Um, and that meant, okay, I have a lot to do. I now have to train for a half marathon. I have to, uh, you know, find like a bodybuilding coach. I have to try different diets. And so it was just a ton of research. And then finding people to interview, going to like the obesity research um, conference, going to all these different things. It was way more journalistic. Mm-hmm. The first one was just kind of like me sitting in front of my computer being like, Mahaha, what idea do I have now? You know, it's it's. I, I made a note to myself. I actually I read Big Problems before adulthood uh, in prep for this, and I made a note to myself that like it was almost like Tom Wolf does does self help. Yeah. Tom Wolf does health and wellness. That yeah. Way. You were taking this journalistic approach to it, which was uh, and it sounds like it was intentional. Yeah. The the um, I wanted to write a and, and like this the second book has uh uh. All of my like source notes in the back, mm-hmm. and so like any uh, whenever I refer to a um, study, you know, you can find what the study is. I didn't do that for my first, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's a, it's a little bit more of like a what I would call real journalism, <laughs> even though I was using myself as the vehicle for telling the story. So I was like the narrative driver, and so what I think was successful about the first book was because a lot of these stories and advice came through me, instead of a lot of the self-help books are just like this disembodied voice telling you what to do. I noticed you didn't use any, a lot, like a lot of stuff in there is, as I was reading through, I was realizing, I mean, I, I'm, I'm also probably not the target audience, yeah. that, like I, I've missed the chance to successfully do adult <laughs> as a beginner. Yeah. But like there, there are, there are like quotes at hand or like, you know, very like, uh, aphoristic folktale type things chicken soup for the teenage yeah. soul that like it, I would imagine that you probably knew and then did not avail yourself of to make it more first person yeah 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 or I would hear an idea and I'd be like what's a better way to actually explain that to yeah. Andy voice yeah and so the second book um, I tried to have it not have that paternalistic tone because I, I read even growing up I read a bunch of these like fitness books mm-hmm. and most of what was in there was complete total bullshit science and not real. Yeah. Like you're an ectomorph because your body's shaped a certain way, yeah. which is a real thing people still believe. It's not true. Um, and there, yes, there are some uh, genetic differences between human beings, but for the most part, it's the same science for us all. Uh, but I tried to write it in such a way as coming from a guy who used to be really big. Yeah. And occasionally gets still sometimes big. Like right now, I'm still trying to lose about 15 more pounds. Um, but it's on purpose. Like I have a right. reason why it has to deal with. You're in much better shape as we sit here than I am. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. Uh, and but that doesn't make me better. That doesn't mean I have like some kind of moral superiority. Which a lot of those books, they are written in such a way that you choose to, success. Yeah, like yeah. get in shape because that makes you a better person. And I'm like, so somebody who isn't in shape is a negative. Like mm-hmm. there's no like that's bullshit. They're, they you matter. Uh, and I talk about, in the second book, I'm like, you don't have to do these things. Uh, if you are comfortable and love how you are, that's awesome. And we should promote that. But for somebody like me who 
I'm vain. I wanted to be able to wear certain kinds of clothes in it, which is also a problem that they don't make clothes geared for bigger people. They're doing a little bit better of that now, uh, especially for women, but not as not as I well like for that men. piece about there's not actually a big and tall. Story. Yeah, it's, it's big or tall. Big or tall. Yeah, They're, it's rarely both. Um, and that's the, you know the second book. I'm trying not to tell you you must be a certain way because bodies are different and. I'm just, what helps you find happiness? And to me, it's finding things I can do with my body as opposed to how do I look. The aesthetics come because of the cool stuff I'm able to do. Although, I, there's, a little, there's another kind of paradox here in that, um, I, I can't remember if you actually articulate this in the book, but like getting into lifting, for instance, um, like I... I know that, like, for myself and for a lot of people, that it's, like, the more um, success you have in being able to just, like, move weight in, you know, a technically or physically sound way, um, that comes, that, that accrues, like, a greater sense of personal efficacy as well. Oh, yeah. You know? Uh, and, and that's a, that, so that's a big thing that I talk about near the end of the book. Because it's, like, you know, the first 200 pages are, like, Andy goes on a journey. Mm-hmm. And then the final 40 are, like, okay, so what should I actually do? Yeah. Uh, and I often tell people, I'm like, just skip to that, but please buy the whole thing. Um, <laughs> I tell folks whenever anybody asks me for advice, I'm like, just focus on what are your, like, first off, what are your goals? So, you know, if you're a dad and you get really winded playing with your kids in the backyard, you probably don't need to lift a bunch of weights. So how about you start by going on longer walks? And then at a certain point, you're like, maybe three times a week ride a bike for 15, 20 minutes. You know, like you don't have to do all this stuff. If you focus on what are your goals, and I think they should be focused on what can you do with your life. So like if you wanna go rock, like if you wanna be able to do rock climbing, some strength work, especially like back, uh, arms, hands, and also, um, you know, your legs too, so your entire body. But mostly your back uh, is gonna be really helpful and advantageous because it's gonna help you in the pursuit of what you're trying to do. Like. If you don't want to be winded by walking upstairs, just start walking a lot more and occasionally walk up some stairs. And so uh, if you instead get, a, get away from focusing on how do I look and what can I do with my body, I feel way more awesome. Like being able to bench press my like how much I weigh multiple times. The first time I did that, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, I can lift myself. And, or when I was like... Uh, if Evil Andy came at me. Yeah. Yeah. Or like when I, you know, deadlifted almost 415 pounds. I'm like, this is really cool. Like, or f- excuse me, 405, not 415. Uh, I'm like, this is really cool. Like, what an achievement that I was able to do uh, for myself. Yeah. When old Andy could not do this. And so, I think I say many times in the book, you're only competing against yourself. Uh, and the idea is, can I just get a little bit better? So, um, but like the well, two questions first, um, and forgive me because I read this book first yeah, yeah. two weeks ago. Like the I know you talk about the first time you kind of went to the gym went through the training, the guy put you through this sort of like shock and awe, yes, bullshit thing. But especially being, um, you know, just like a, a taller, like bigger framed person, you had not gotten into like weights and strength training growing up no I, I had a I had a weightlifting class in ninth grade that mostly taught you 
like here's where the bicep is. Oh, and you got super sore and you were like, I'm not yeah. doing yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, but I do remember because they would be like, let's bench. And they never taught you how to do it properly and any of that stuff. And we never did squats. I think we only did like leg machines. It was probably because they didn't want to get sued. Right. Um, and I do remember at one point realizing my arms are bigger. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just, I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool. But then like it just went away. And another time was in seventh grade. I played uh, football for my Catholic league uh, from sixth to eighth grade. And I remember in seventh grade, uh, laying on the ground and like rubbing my arm and I felt the divot of where my tricep uh, was. And I was like, what is this? That's cool. Like this yeah. weird little, that's this indent. And that I think was kind of like one of my first, like, wow, my body can do stuff because of, you know, working out and that sort of stuff. But for the most part, I had done anything. I just ate a lot and drank a lot and was fat. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, um, uh, then the other kind of like question you talk about the guy at the YMCA who I don't it, my nemesis can I ask is this like in Obama's memoir when he admits that like a couple of the significant other characters are composites no is this, this is a, one dude this, this is, is one, one guy yeah this is one gentleman uh, so it's not a composite of every annoying person at the gym no because there are there are I've, I've had to deal with a variety of annoying people and I've probably been an annoying person um, to be to be fair, uh, you know, I'm sure I have. And, but this, this, a lot of gyms have these very territorial, they're almost always men, and they're assholes because they think they can be because they're large. Well, this guy's actually shorter than me. Mm-hmm. Um, but he very, he wore like wraparound sunglasses at the YMCA. And he had like a, 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 a you know, undershirt that had like on the back, I know this sounds like a joke, but like it said Swolosaurus. Like in, in Sharpie. Like not screen yeah. printed. So he didn't get one of the nice Swolosaurus shirts. No, and yeah. he was always a jerk and he would move equipment that I would like I would be doing two things. Yeah. And I'd be going like doing a superset and he would move it. And he wasn't using it. It's just a dominance. It's thing. a dominance thing. Yeah. And I and I remember having to be like, hey, could you stop doing that? And like I'm putting it where it belongs. And I'm yeah. like, well, I'm currently using it. And he would do stuff like um drop uh, dumbbells on his chest and flex and like scream like and, yeah. and I'm just like alright like attitudinally or dispositionally like how, how far down the road of confrontation are you willing to go in a situation like that uh not very yeah back then uh <laughs> but I really and, I, and I've, I've talked with uh, my mental health professional about this I find it really hard to like walk away from somebody being rude or, or like being unkind to another person now and there's been a couple of instances where uh, I was walking past a guy and a large woman walked past and he was on the phone and he commented about this fat woman walking by like she might have been in earshot right. she she might not have been but I saw it and I stopped and I was like uh, what are you doing and this was like this summer yeah uh, and he was like, excuse me? And like, he got instantly defensive. I'm like, why'd you just make fun of that? Do you know her? And he's like, no. And I'm like, so what, you're just, you're just being an asshole. And he was just like, I'm on the phone. And I'm like, I don't care. That was so uncool. And you could see he had that, oh shit, this guy has eight inches on me. And I don't think I was going to do anything. Yeah. But I was just like, that was just incredibly uncool. You do not have to be like that. That was a choice you made. Be better. 
and then walked away. And then I was like, what did I just do? It would be better. It's weird because, I mean, it's always hard to figure out the the exit strategy from those things. Be better is, be better is good, not to steal Melania Trump's. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, hey, if somebody can use it in a better way. Because uh, it's so hard to not, like, end one of those impromptu conversations like, okay, thanks. Well, so th there's, like, the, uh, I go back... <laughs> I go back to the old Broadway musical Camelot, uh, where they have a whole philosophical discussion around might makes right versus right is right. And as I've gotten in better shape and perhaps a little bit more intimidating, I know I've always been kind of intimidating. I'm tall. Yeah. I'm aware. But I think now I'm viewed a little bit more as a threat by default because yeah. I'm a little bit bigger. And uh, it's usually short men. No offense to short men, but... Sometimes they have, they're more likely to blow up and go off the handle. But now I'm like, well, why not use my physical physicality to like diffuse situations, which is putting me in harm's way. It's yeah. stupid. Have you as an adult gotten into um, like a fist fight? Years ago at a bar, uh, a guy spilled my drink and I was like, that's okay. Like, no, no worries, dude. You know, like, that's fine. And he thought I was making a big deal out of it. Because, like, I was just like, oh, it's all right. I'll just get another beer. You know, like, it's fine. And, and he was just like, it doesn't seem like it's okay. And so he clearly wanted to fight. Right. And I remember just being like, well, I'm saying it's okay, so it's okay. Uh, and I think I said something like, you can move along. Everything's fine. Right. And then he was just like, uh, nobody tells me what to do. And then it was just kind of like a, well, it was a suggestion. Yeah. And I think if, if memory serves, he like pushed me and I, I like laughed and was like, okay, well, I can meet you outside. And then he went outside and I just went back to the bar and did nothing. <laughs> and so like, that's my, it's like, well, I'll meet you outside. And then when he came back in, the bartender's like, you have to leave. Uh, and I knew the bartender. So yeah. he was just like, are you going to go fight that guy? I'm like, Man, no. I feel like you, there should be a, like an addendum to the adulthood for beginners book. Yeah, well, no, it's just, I, I think, <laughs> I don't like violence. Uh, you should be able to solve issues through discussion, through words. But uh, there are people that just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. And I don't know, it, it, it reminds me of when I was younger. Uh, this this, this, this kind of has to deal with this. So I used to play in punk rock bands. Yeah. And... I was playing at this show in Sioux City, Iowa, we're kind of near where I'm from, at the Geneva Street Legion Hall, and we're in the back room, uh, like the kitchen is where you put all your gear, and we're hanging out, and one of the old timers, so he was like 25, uh, from the scene, you know, came over and was like, because I was big, he's like, you and my bass player was also tall and big, he's like, I need you guys to come with me, and I, we're like, why? We're like, we have to throw a Nazi out, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, and so we go, and there's this guy with like swastikas and standard uh, buzz cut like I didn't even know like Nazi punks were still a thing this is like 2001 2002 and so we tell him like hey you gotta leave and he's like I paid five bucks they're like well it's ours now you gotta go and he refused to go and so we lifted him and took him out and set him out outside he was like I'm gonna burn the place down and kill you all blah, blah, blah. standard Nazi stuff and I remember the kids Nazi boilerplate yeah Nazi yeah. boilerplate and I remember the older guy telling me you cannot allow one Right. No Nazis allowed. And I was like, how come? He's like, because then there's two Nazis 
and then there's four, and now it's a Nazi punk show. Mm -hmm. And you're stuck with them. And uh, that was an instance where we were bigger, you're bad, goodbye. And so I do think that there are some... Well, do you think about this, um, or have you thought about it, especially being, being a journalist by trade, so obviously you're just, you have a sense of scale and scope of current events and whatnot. Um, you know, you think back to what was originally the hysteria in a lot of corners when Trump first got elected that in slow motion really ended up being borne out, you know, that like... I always would use the joke about, like, how was Scar such a bad, you know, king that he, like, ruined the Pride Lands in two years? But it's like, yeah, you know, we lost sports and restaurants and there's Nazis all over and everything like well, that. Well, yeah. Um, sorry, but the thing that I noted, like, I had a, my daughter was 10 months old and I had two kids and, and there was this, like, thought as I would, like, work out to think, like, it might actually become a situation where, like, my ability to engage in physical force is going to be determinative and something I really want to happen or, or not happen. Like, have you thought about that at all as you've kind of been, like, going on your own Swolosaurus journey over the last five years? Like, a little bit. Uh, so, oh, gosh, what's her name? There was a, a, a journalist author. She, she went to this big, like, uh, prepper thing down in Florida and she made a comment about all of these preppers are waiting for the end of the world, and if any of them had to run a mile, they would die of a coronary. And for some reason, they never think about physical fitness. And there are some, there are some. And I, I mean, I grew up in Nebraska where like, prepper wasn't what we, it was just preparing for the fact that a blizzard will come in and you might lose power. Yeah. And you need extra food. Very timely. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. And so we're just kind of used to that. And we were literally taught as a kid, like, here's how you survive in the snow in case you get caught in a blizzard. Yeah. Because uh, it could happen. And uh, I think that physical preparedness, it's very interesting that a lot of these folks who are all about, like, we need to defend our our race and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just kind of like, if you needed to chase me, right? I would get away from you. Uh, and again, but that also is... I don't want to shame them for being large, but I'm right. also like your your political and uh, ethnic goals uh, don't seem to coincide with the there's plans. A, there's a euphemism. Eth yeah, ethnic goals. I've uh, <laughs> having dived into some of those areas. That's probably a phrase they use. Oh um, my god! But uh, but yeah, no, it's. I think all that has happened over the last four or five years is what was already already here. Yeah, it's just people feel like, oh, I can actually say the things I, I've always wanted to say. Yeah. Because that because that guy said it, and so it's okay. And that's not me necessarily... Nazis are bad. I do not agree with Nazis. I think they should be pushed from polite society, and um, I have no qualms about a Nazi getting punched in the face. Like, yeah. That's just a personal view, not a view of any employer. Um, but I do think that there are some discourse that you got to throw the Nazis out or else your punk show becomes full of Nazis. Yeah. And I'm happier that I'm in a little bit better shape. Uh, but I also don't think that's going to be as... Hopefully. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people talk about, like, the sky is falling. I'm like, this is just what's already been here. Mm -hmm. It's It never went away. It just... They're louder now because they feel like they can be loud. And also, uh, what's, what's that old... Um, oh... Uh, 
there, there is, I think he's a French philosopher that he has a phrase about uh, you have when you have like too many well-educated men, it usually leads to war. Uh, Sounds like a Voltaire. Ah, uh, gosh, there it's like a there's a phrase, but like if you look through history, all these mm-hmm. times where you have you have a lot of relatively well-educated men who don't have as many job opportunities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it's led to yeah. yeah, it's led to all these issues. And it's like, well, we're kind of seeing an overabundance of men that don't have much purpose, which is why I think they dive into some of these things that make them feel like they have purpose. You ever read The Fourth Journey? Huh. It's good. You should read it. We'll talk more about it offline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I want to get to what, like, what's what's next for Andy Boyle here? I know that, well, I don't want to front run you. No. Can, yeah, what, what's next? What What do you think the the next phase is for you? For me? Yeah. Uh, I want to continue working on novels. Uh, I have many trunk novels, which are, like, poorly written novels that I've I got like three or four. They're not good. Um, I'm. I've submitted recently. I submitted a couple of short stories. I really like crime fiction. It's my jam. Yeah. I used to cover crime as a reporter. I I love noir. I love um, like the moral ambiguity uh, because that's what a lot of the world is. There's no well pure right and pure wrong. And you're also. I mean, you're probably still on the left side of the curve for average age of publishing a first novel. I would imagine. Right. Oh yeah. I'm. I'm uh, having anything published, I'm pretty lucky in terms yeah. of. I mean, I have two books that came out. Regardless of how well uh, they, like for the rest of my life, I get to say I had two books published with Penguin Random House. That's pretty cool. If I, yeah. if nothing else ever comes of it, that's not bad. Yeah. I, I, I joked with my uh, agent. I was like, I could, like, could I become like a professor at like some small liberal arts college in Vermont? He's like, Yeah, you've already published more than any of them. <laughs> Uh, and no diss to all the small town Vermont uh, yeah. professors, but to me, it's hard sometimes to find joy in my own accomplishments because of that like Midwestern Catholic upbringing. Right. Because it's like got to stay humble, work for the next thing. And to me, the next thing is I I want to get a novel published, and then the next thing is like, well, now I want to do a better novel. Is it is it um something that causes strain with your sort of peer group that like obviously when everyone's 25 and everyone wants to be a writer like there's camaraderie in that struggle because like no one's getting published and no one has a book deal and then it just becomes one of these things where it's like you are very I mean through you know combination of uh, luck talent story whatever like you've actually kind of gotten the thing and is that is there some isolation in that not as much uh I say this, and this is going to sound like total bullshit. I often forget that I've written books because, in my mind, I'm a failed novelist. Mm. Uh, that's such a, like, I'm so lucky and so fortunate to be able to have anything published, and I did the best job that I possibly could. But, like, in my mind, I'm like, I've always wanted to be a fiction writer. And one of the reasons I think I went into journalism was so I could become a better writer overall. Um, I just happened to be lucky to get opportunities to write what are kind of like really long uh, journalism stories. Like they're just really long. Yeah. They're 60,000 words instead of like 1,200, you know? So uh, in terms of like isolation in my peer group, like most of my friends have known me for a long time. Right. And like, it's kind of a joke to them that, well, of course he's this published author. 
because how could it have ever been otherwise? Yeah, because yeah. but to me, I'm just like, there's no of course. Mm -hmm. There was a ton of work and revising, and like the second book, when I handed it in, they were just like, we're gonna have you do this again because it wasn't that good. Like to them, they were like, it's kind of scattered. Uh, we think it needs a couple new sections, and then they're like, we'll give you five more months to work on it. And I was like, you think it's so bad? I need five months. But to them, like they're just like. It's fine. Right. Like, it, you know. And then there's, like, someone who's totally, like, would die if they saw Random House on the caller ID on their phone. 100%. Yeah. And, and I'm so fortunate. And I've also been able to have the experience of being, like, promoted. Right. And doing, like, a bunch of press and that sort of stuff. And some of it I helped to get myself because I just, I know how the game works. Yeah. Um, and I'm willing just to talk about stuff. But, uh, no, I, I, I'm very... Like, I still take writing classes, and I feel like I shouldn't bring up the fact that I have books because I don't want to sound like I'm bragging. Right. Because it's like, I'm just like all of you. I'm trying to become a, the better version of Andy the writer. I'm not better than any of you. I've just happened to do other stuff. It sounds like you do a really damn good job of actually getting to the writing. I try, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, um, I think I tell this story in the first book. I was at a bar back, you know, back when I still would go to bars and stuff and hang out. And not that I don't go to bars now, it's just if I did, I just wouldn't drink. Um, well, you don't go to bars now. No, nobody does. Uh, but man, I long to just sit in a bar and read a book and do nothing. Anyway, um, this guy, never met him. We're just kind of, you know, shooting the shit. He tells me what he does. And then he asked me, he's like, what, what do you do? And I was like, well, I'm a journalist. I, you know, this is back when I worked at the Chicago Tribune. And, uh, but like, I'm a writer. And he's like, oh, like, like, what are you working on? It's like, well, nothing right now. And he's just like, okay, well, why aren't you, so you're a writer, why are you here then? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, why aren't you at home writing? And I think he's trying to be an asshole, but he was also completely right. Mm -hmm. And the most talent, like, we talked earlier about the difference between an amateur and professional. A professional also makes the time to do the thing that they want to become good at and turns it a little bit into a craft. Mm -hmm. And I try to set some kind of goal. And so when I was working on nonfiction, uh, I would try to do 1,200 to 1,500 words a day after I'd done the research. And so sometimes the research was part of that, but I'd try to hit a word goal. Mm -hmm. And I would try to do it five days a week. And then on the weekends, I would look over what I'd written uh, because it needs some space so I can look at it with different fresh eyes. You know, it's it's an interesting parallel to uh, weight making. Yeah. And that, like... It's a show up. It's Yeah, it's not just when you feel like working out. It's like the, the workout that you just sort of, you know, muscle your way through, like, that leads to... that That is as essential to success. Like, you just have to go through those, like, yep, I got 1,200 words out. Yeah, bodybuilders aren't waiting for inspiration. Right, right. And, and also the best authors I know, they're not waiting for it either because the idea of like waiting for inspiration to come doesn't exist. Like I was working on a thing today or, or yesterday and I only wrote 700 words and I was finishing up a scene and right at the end of the scene, I just got this idea. I was like, oh, what if he shows this character this thing and that character has a response, but it's quick and it's hidden, but it says something. I was like, Oh shit, like there's the inspiration. I wouldn't have gotten that if I didn't write those 700 words. Right. And those 700 words were really hard because I didn't want to work. 
Uh, it was right before we had that uh, our chat. I was yeah. like, I got I got twenty minutes. What can I get done? And I got seven hundred words done, and but right at the end, I was like, oh, that. There we go. There's some inspiration. So the next time I come around, it'll gestate in my brain. Does does the discipline of that stop you from getting inspiration at inopportune moments? Like it's almost like the last thing you want is to get a great idea at three a.m. because then it's like, do I? I write them down. You write them down um, in my phone. Like I have so many different notes. So I have a bunch of different novel ideas and projects. And every once in a while, I'll be on a walk, and I'll be like, "Oh, you know that book I'm I'm working about about the mobster who uh, is down on his luck and uh, accidentally." Uh, he's basically put in charge of this young young girl and need, they need to go on the run. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, they should really have an important scene in the first 60 pages. I want there to be a shootout uh, at the at Union Station in Chicago. Like, I was just like, where'd that come from? Mm-hmm. But I'm like, that's cool. Then, you know, I'm, you know, it's the untouchables. It's like, I'm definitely stealing it, but right. just thinking like, it should be a double cross. And I'm like, oh, okay. Who's who's gonna double cross it? And I'm like, uh, this guy. I'm like, okay. And then I just write it down, and then I can keep going on my walk. And so I'm always writing ideas down, and then sometimes I I'll forget them, or I'll hear like a really cool sentence. Yeah. Or I'll hear somebody say something, uh, and I'll be like, that's a great line of dialogue. I will write an entire scene just so I can throw that in. And so, and it, that is nothing unique. That's what a lot of uh, a lot of writers do. Um, but like, the, I think the discipline of follow through, I think is sort of mm-hmm. a thematic through um, line here. All right, last thing I want to talk about on a little bit um, of a tangent or you know spurious note or whatever. You mentioned in the kind of opening anecdote of big problems, how when you were working at the trip, you had the cubicle right by the bathroom. Oh yes. Like just from a undesired small talk and pregnant social interactions perspective. How bad is that cubicle location? It was pretty bad. Uh, and it wasn't like meant because I was, it's just where they had a spot open. Yeah. And it just happened to be next to the men's restroom, which also meant one time I peed next to uh, then VP candidate Paul Ryan, uh, which was weird because I didn't know he was in there. Oh, I thought it was like you waited until you saw him go No. Yeah. Uh, his people, because I was like, looking at my computer and the bathroom doors are behind me like he had come to talk to the editorial board he's you know they're from wisconsin and i went in there and i was just like oh i recognize you boy you look like an older like young person like he looks like his face was so young looking but yeah. he was older um and i was just like why did they let me in here i'm like what's well, the bathroom yeah and you know like there was a guy a yeah. secret service doing there but um yeah and because i was by the restroom like people I'm, always feel like they had to say something to you as they walk by. A certain columnist at the Chicago Tribune who shall remain nameless, um, he would pitch ideas for this person's shitty columns by asking me if I knew about stuff. Like, this person who shall remain nameless came over once and was just like, like, where's your favorite uh, egg and pepper sandwich locale in Chicago? And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. He's like, you're Catholic, right? I'm like... Why, yes, I was raised Catholic. And he's just like, you know, Lent. And he thinks this is the essence of being the everyman. Yeah, it was just like the guy by the shitter. Let's go talk to that kid. Yeah. Uh, And every once in a while, quotes that I would tell him, unbeknownst. You know, he'd be like, I talked to a colleague, and it showed up in the paper. Um, But I had to eat like an egg and pepper sandwich. 
and I was just like, this is, okay, this is a lot of carbs, man. <laughs> like, that's my main takeaway. Uh, it is, it's a little dry. Um, and he's like, gotta put the garden there on it. But uh, every once in a while that would happen. But people would often stop by your desk. I, I, I would imagine at least everyone's like very um, loquacious and you know curious. And I've, I've had jobs, I had, a, I had one particular job where I had a big cube like on the way to the restroom and it was right when that Geico camel hump day thing came out where people were like, Mike, 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 Mike. Oh my God. And it, um, I still haven't recovered from it. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I worked remotely for five years and then I went back, went to work at the Chicago Sun-Times for six months before our national worldwide calamity. Uh, and I liked it because I like being around people again. But we also like wouldn't waste each other's time as much as other places. Because let's face it, there's a lot of people at a lot of jobs. They don't have a lot of work to do. Right. So they want to look busy, so they'll go talk to people and stuff like that. I do like the camaraderie. I do like being able to talk to people. But uh, sometimes there's something to be said where if they can only send you a Slack message or email you, they're going to actually really think through their idea first mm-hmm. and actually perhaps solve the problem themselves. <laughs> Uh, which I think is helpful. Um, like I miss being in an office, and I look forward to going back a couple days a week because uh, I just miss humans. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just so glad I was so. I, my desk at the sometimes is nowhere near the restroom. So, <laughs> all right. On that um, note of wisdom, we will uh, wrap this up. Uh, Andy Boyle, Renaissance man, author, auteur. Um, fitness model uh, <laughs> or model of fitness uh, low low rate fitness model right 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 um thank you very much uh there will be plugs in the uh, accompanying post here for both of andy's books and they're in the library at go row uh hearty recommendation 